All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 112 of the DFO Rundown, one week away from the NHL trade deadline. It has been very quiet, likely will be for a few days, and then things are going to uh, heat up. And there's lots of different angles to look at. As I'm Jason Greger, we welcome in Frank Saravalli. And uh, Frank, here we are. The, the countdown is on. It's one week to go. And, you know, the uh, the West definitely has uh, some teams who still think they're in some teams all of a sudden that need to quote Chandler Stevenson, grab their nuts and uh, and work harder. Uh, Vegas losers of four in a row, seven of their last 10. They got some key injuries. That's a fascinating team to see what they're going to do this week. There's so much riding on it. I mean, it's not just, you know, Stanley Cup or bust this you know, got to get the Stanley Cup in five years as their owner, Bill Foley, put out as the edict. But how do they overcome these injuries? And, and I mentioned this idea before, maybe, you know, you get a little help from someone like Riley Smith as a pending UFA, but this is the only year they're going to have the ability to really load up with all these guys if they can keep them healthy and be this far over the cap. Given the Mark Stone injury, it's a unique one-off situation. So the fact that that may be squandered, especially in the first year of the Jack Eichel experience, Man, to have it come down potentially to goaltending, there's some pretty delicious irony in that 
given that they traded the reigning Vezina Trophy winner away last summer for nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing. So, and Robin Lehner, you know what? Uh, home on crutches. Who knows how long uh, he'll be out for? So yeah, sounds like just, a knee issue for Robin Leonard, actually. Yeah, so, so that just uh, that just adds to it. On top uh, of the shoulder, so you've got yeah. shoulder and knee. Yikes! Uh, he'll he'll be singing the song soon, Frank. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Right? Yeah. Pretty. There you uh, go. Pretty banged up. Um, other play, of course, the uh, the Heritage Classic. Great venue in Hamilton, uh, Buffalo. Who Buffalo just keeps knocking off the top dogs right now, and uh, they get by Toronto five to two. But of course, the story many are talking about: uh, Austin Matthews has a hearing, not in person though, which kind of uh, gives us a little foreshadowing on uh, the length of the suspension. He's clearly getting suspended, I would think, for the uh, cross check to the side of Rasmus Dahlin. And Frank, I honestly think the fact that Dahlin didn't go down—that's helping Austin Matthews. Not sure why it should matter. Like you, you need to oh, be I in agree. control of your emotions and your stick at all times. And if you watch the video closely, there's nothing like they're in a tussle, but there's nothing that Darlene does. That's really against the rules. He didn't use his stick. He simply pushed him with his arms. And I, I think it comes down to the totality of the circumstances. Really the key Tim Peel wrote about this on dailyfaceoff.com and gave his verdict of two games. It's late in a game that was supposed to be a memorable afternoon for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've given up their fourth goal uh, in a game for the 10th time in their last 12 games. It's snowing. It's cold. The Leafs are frustrated and Austin Matthews simply loses his cool. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is someone that should have been in more control and wasn't, and his emotions got the best of him. And, you know, I think in that case, when it's a reactionary play like that, not a hockey play, not just something that happened in the sequence of a game where you had little time to react. Like I think those types of plays deserve a more harsh suspension. And, you know, I'd like to see it be a little bit more than that. I just don't think that there's enough precedent. And the fact that Austin Matthews has never been fined or suspended and was last year, a lady Bing finalist for gentlemanly play he doesn't have the rap sheet to really throw the book at him. No, I would agree. Um, I think they've got three games this week, Frank. They have uh, Dallas and Carolina at home, and then they play in Nashville. I think he's going to get three games. I think he gets so, the week. So what I would now, what makes me curious about that is not necessarily how that impacts the Leafs. How does that impact the Rocket Richard race? Well, what, if he, what, if, what if he ends up losing the Rocket Richard? based on the three games missed. He's got a six goal lead over Leon Dreisaitl, seven over Chris Kreider, but still three games for Leon Dreisaitl. He could easily score six and three or be close to it. Knock on the door. What you've done is you've opened the door. Yeah, no, it's true. And the, uh, I, I would hope that uh, player safety is not worrying about that, but it does it it does uh, impact it for sure. And so, you know, you look at the at the way the Leafs are playing right now. Like Austin Matthews being their best player, that's that's not even up for debate, yep. right? Uh, he's he's in the conversation for having the best season this year, no question. So, uh, you lose him for for three games or two games, whatever it's going to be. Like maybe it's more than three. Definitely don't see it being more than five because it's not in person. So, um, I just that was a pretty vicious cross check. And he, he clearly just, you know, had a brief moment of frustration 
and he let it get the best of him. And, and now we'll see what the consequences are. But as, uh, as Gary Bettman said, when, when Rocky Wirtz had his eruption, he was just having a moment. <laughs> yeah. A little bit different, but yeah, you're right. Um, I he saw used that, uh, every piece of his body, every fiber of his body to leverage himself, to cross check him in the face. Like, and he's sorry. Hey man, is Darlene that tough or what? Because he didn't even really budge. Like I was, because Darlene's a big dude. Oh, he is a big dude. And I just, I honestly, I think that helps Matthews. Because if the guy goes down, Frank, what, and you're right, it shouldn't matter. But I, I firmly believe well, it, it always does, does because it changes the perception. Yeah, it, it's always, it always comes down to was the player injured on the play, and the answer is no. Yeah. So the. Uh, the other interesting thing is you you look at teams, um, you know, we had we have a lot of head to head games coming up. Uh, we saw it last night in Minnesota and, and Nashville go at it and, and the Preds move into a tie now with them. The West playoff race, Frank, is to me is what's fascinating. Uh, Vegas is technically in on points, but Dallas has four games in hand. They're only a point behind them. They're obviously going to pass them uh, this week. And like I look at points Vegas, percentage, my man, yeah, Vegas is outside of a playoff spot. Yeah, well, the, you look at the L.A. Kings, though. So the L.A. Kings are banged up. They get they get spanked by Santa. They actually lose in overtime to the Sharks, and they lose 5 nothing. Then they got to fly home. They play one of the top teams in the NHL, Florida. And Martin Furk ties the game on an absolute bomb slap shot with, like, 30 seconds remaining. Then they win in a shootout. Like, you talk about a game where their season could have teetered one way due to injuries and starting to lose three in a row, and they beat Florida. Man, I'll give the L.A. Kings a lot of credit for last night's gutsy win over the Panthers. Yep. And has anyone ever been happier than the Edmonton Oilers and Vancouver Canucks for this slide from the Vegas Golden Knights? I mean, that's, I mentioned it last week. I don't think that either of those two teams are going to be able to catch Nashville or Dallas. I mean, it's possible. Uh, Certainly Dallas has, you know, they don't have a ton of wiggle room, but geez, Vegas was the team that they kind of needed to, fall back and they've certainly done so. And, you know, you look at all the injuries, it it kind of went unnoticed on Sunday, but no Max Pacioretty again for the Vegas Golden Knights. Like they might have 40 plus million dollars sitting on the shelf. They're right for the picking. Like they just are. No, the hundred percent. And you look at uh, the, the Edmonton orders um, really since Jay Woodcroft came in, their five on five play has improved like tenfold how much better they are. If, if they can figure out their power play, which I still think because you have dry settle McDavid, it'll figure itself out. I, I, I still, I think the orders are a playoff team and I think they're going to give LA a run for uh, for second, but Vegas, do, Vegas is going to be in trouble. No question. They're going to have we, to really battle. Do we need to sound the, the alarm for Pete DeBoer and his job security? I mean, I don't know if you saw his quotes after the game last night, We've got to stop the bleeding. There's urgency. We know the situation. I mean, uh, at some point, isn't this traditionally, you know, maybe not for a team that had had so many injuries, but isn't this traditionally the type of swoon that ends up costing a coach's job? Very possible, man. Very possible. It could be. And I wonder, does the does the goalie injury give him wiggle room? Right. Because if you bring in a new coach. And you have the same goaltending issues. Is it going to change? You look at their week, Frank. Look at the week Vegas has. Look at the Oilers. Their their goaltending situation didn't change. They got some better goaltending from Miko Koskinen. 
But how much of that was as a result of the stylistic five on five yeah, changes? That's fair. That's totally valid. Yeah, that could uh, that could be part of it. Um, Vegas, they got Winnipeg tomorrow in Winnipeg. Then they're home to Florida, home to L.A. Like that's a huge week for, for them leading up to the trade deadline. And then they come out of it and they play next Monday, Tuesday, Thursday against Minnesota, Winnipeg and Nashville. Not teams that they're necessarily battling in the Pacific, but teams are all battling for for a potential uh, wildcard berth. Like this, this next six games could could really be a make or break when they got five of them against teams they're battling for in the playoff race. And then, oh, by the way, one of the best teams in the league in Florida. So you've got Lauren Brassois and Logan Thompson in net. Are they getting the job done? Poof. It's tough, man. But as, hey, Chandler Stevenson and all the players, I think they're going to, you're right. The, the guys in front of them are going to have to help out. No question. But it's, it's fascinating. Like you wonder, let's say they lose to, to Winnipeg. Like, do you make a coaching change with 20 games to go? I would have to think that given their mantra and given their mission, that everything would be on the table. Oof. I mean, um, I, wouldn't, wouldn't missing the playoffs not be an option for them probably more than some other teams. Yeah, fair. I agree. Like it's the first like, time in franchise history that they've been in a playoff race where their lives are on the line. Well, I would say not only that, but the way this team has built, they're, they're not young. No. Like they're not the Oilers that are building towards something. They're at that championship contender window and have been for a couple of years now. And they've, they frankly have mortgaged a lot of their future to be there. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're in a tough spot for McCrimmon. Like you kind of got your chips are already in Frank. Now it's down to like, well, like you can't pull your chips out. One would think, but let me, let me, so let's flip back to the Vegas of the East and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is should they consider doing nothing? See, I, I floated this idea and I, the more I think about it, the more I think there's logic to it. Like they've got so many holes in goal on their blue line. They, they really need another winger up front. That's a lot to fill with a team that if Jake Muzzin's coming back, doesn't have any cap space. Plus yeah, I, you could make the best moves possible. You could, attempt to fill all those holes and do it admirably and still just as easily lose to the Florida Panthers in the first round. True. But I think the argument would be that if we fill our holes, we could easily beat those teams and go to the, go to the cup. What would be your, no matter what, even if they were to fill those holes, they're entering as the, they're entering as the underdog to either Tampa or Florida. And today it would be Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. It's not ideal, right? Like what, what, what kind of confidence level, even if they're able to make trades and really do it well, what kind of confidence level would you give them to beat either one of those teams in a seven game series and, and actually have to beat both of them in consecutive seven game series? Well, I think Florida has about the same amount of playoff success as the Leafs, right? Based on the players they have in their squads. So, you know, both of those organizations are looking to end a lengthy drought of just winning a series. So I think in a, in a perfect world, you'd much rather face them in the first round to gain some confidence. Because if you face Tampa, who's just, you know, T Tampa's got so many battle scars, they're, they're not, they're, they'll be immune to anything. There'll, there'll be no nerves for Tampa. And I think there might be for some for Toronto. So they'd probably be better really off. You really think there's some for Florida? 
I let, well, they haven't won anything, Frank. They haven't won a playoff series since 96. Right. But how many of those guys they, like is, is like, Reinhardt wearing that is well, Barkoff and Huberto, that? Barkoff, Huberto and Ekblad, kind of their three main guys. What playoff success have they had? None, but they haven't really had a supporting cast until now. No, no, so like fair. how much are they really sitting there sweating it? And by the way, like they're in Florida, no one's breathing down their necks. Like the Toronto market is. Yeah, but I do think inside the room, there's the internal pressure to want to win, right? Like, I, I think Florida feels like, hey, we got it. We got to get going here. Like, at some point, we got to, you know, we got to take this, the regular season results and, and transfer that into playoff success, right? Like, obviously, the, you're right. The the fans and the media coverage are very different in the two markets. But I think the internal pressure would be the exact same. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like there's more riding on it for the Leafs than there is for the Panthers. And that might be the media coverage. I would agree with you. But I think in the room, like you look at Florida, man, like you only have so many good chances. Like Florida's got a really good team. Like, and I think which is why I give them the edge already. Like, I just think they're a better constructed team than the, than the Leafs at this point. Well, I think what we know about their goaltending, given what we know about their blue line. And I still think Florida is going to be in a position. They're going to be getting stronger too. It's not like they're going to stay the same. I'd be very surprised if they don't go out and get a defenseman over the next seven days. No, that's what I was going to say. D men is they had a defenseman to that team. Hampus Lindholm. Good. Yeah, that's, that's the, guy. the guy. Okay. What are you hearing on Chikrin? Is he, is he out now of the trade sweep sweepstakes because of the injury potentially? I we're still waiting for an update on Jacob Chikrin to see the severity of his injury. Um, me personally, like I think it's been somewhat quiet on Jacob Chikrin compared to the noise that was out there. I would, you know, I don't know how the injury is going to impact it, but I, I would tend to be more surprised than not if he end, ends up getting traded over. The yeah, next week. like to me, it never made sense. Why, if you're Arizona, why are you trading Jacob Chikrin? I don't get it. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, like it doesn't make sense to me. Now, the uh, the Los Angeles Kings are a team that uh, could be looking to uh, to make some moves this week, Frank. And we got the president, the Hall of Famer, Luke Robitaille, joining us on the DFO Rundown. Today on the DFO, we are excited to welcome a Hockey Hall of Famer. He was the 171st overall pick back in 1984. He was the first and only rookie of the year as a member of the Los Angeles Kings. He's a Hall of Famer. Of course, he is the current all-time left winger leading scorer in NHL history, although Ovi is closing in on that mark. And of course, 22nd all-time in points. He was voted one of the top 100 players of all time in NHL history, and he's the president of the Los Angeles Kings, Luke Robitaille joins us. Luke, it's quite the resume. How you doing? I wrote that perfectly for you. <laughs> <laughs> I could have had a couple of things about the life and everything, but. <laughs> oh yeah, no, hey, that's, that's all right. Hey, we, you can add some of the life stuff. I like it. Now I, I was going, Luke, I'm very excited to have you on here because um, I, I have a, a freakish memory about weird things. And back in 1994, it was my brother's 24th birthday and uh, we were going out. And that day there was a massive trade in the NHL in the summer of July, 1994 Luke Robitaille traded from LA 
to the Pittsburgh Penguins. You were you had the fourth most points in your first eight seasons in the NHL, the third most goals. Like that was a blockbuster. Can you, as we're into trade season, uh, were you surprised? Take me back as to what led up to you being traded for Rick Tockett in the summer of 94. Uh, I, I would say, you know, when I was surprised is that summer, I, um, I went and played for Team Canada, the World uh, Championship, and uh, we won and we won the gold medal and I yeah. scored in a shootout. And as I'm on the ice and we're like, we got a trophy. My son was there. It was kind of neat because it was in Italy. And and then the first interview that I did on the ice where some press came in with some European press. The guy says, uh, hey, congratulations, Wing. What do you what do you think about the rumors about you're going to get traded? <laughs> I was still there. I'm like, oh, I was I was flabbergasted and. So that was the first time I had heard about it. And, uh, and then, then later in the summer, I heard a few, you know, we, we still had an owner, Bruce McNall, who was struggling. There was a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff going on with the LA Kings where he ended up going to prison and so forth. But he had told me that uh, there were a couple of things. Some I think was, were money oriented and so forth. And, Hey, it's part of the game, you know. And may I always say, if Wayne Gretzky got traded, we can all get traded. <laughs> <laughs> and and so that became you got traded. I think it was three summers out of like four because you got traded in '94. Then the summer of '95, after only one year in Pittsburgh, you get traded to New York. And then the summer of '97, you're traded from New York back to LA. Like those are the only trades of your career, and it all happened in, in a short period of time. Did it ever get easier? Like, did did you ever ask for one of those trades? The last two. No, like uh, the next one, when I left Pittsburgh, it had everything to do with money. Uh, Howard Baldwin was the owner. who was a really nice man. I'm still friends with him. And uh, due to the lockout we had that year, financially, the organization was in trouble. And at the time, like you said, I had really good numbers. So because they had changed, like, you know, in those days, I don't know if you recall, we had like option years and stuff. Yep. Because the lockout that year, when the settlement was done, if you had an option year, you had the option to get out of the option year. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and for me to get out of the option, it meant that my arbitration case was the best case in hockey. So my agent says, you know, Luke, you, you, we're going to take you out and, you know, we'll file for arbitration. We'll see. And Howard Baldwin says, well, Mary was coming back next year because he was hurt. And they weren't able, going to be able to match the salary if, you know, if what they thought it, it could be. So that's how I ended up going to New York. And um, so I kind of knew something was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be New York, but I knew I was not going to stay in Pittsburgh. And then going back to L.A., um, it had everything to do where Neil Smith actually treated them, myself and my family really good. Uh, I wasn't used to not playing as many minutes in here, and I loved it. I loved playing with Mass, and it was a fun team. And at some point, uh, Neil, I think he had talked to some of the coaching staff and said, look, if you're not going to play him that many minutes, we're paying too, too much money for that. So he made he made a trade. He told me, he says, I know LA wants you back. He goes, if I have a chance to send you there, I will. So I kind of had a feeling it was going to happen. So we we're pretty fortunate that we had like people that were really honest on the management side that communicated with us. You know, so it was never a surprise. 
Interesting. Luke, um, I wanted to bring it, I know it's trade season, bring it back to your team and the success that you guys have enjoyed this season. And I think, you know, obviously watching so closely, you know, with what you're seeing on a day-to-day basis to kind of take a step back and look at the growth from this team to see the individual sort of steps that some of these players have taken to get better. Some of the young guys, what's it been like watching that up close every day? Well, it's been really fun to see our young guys playing. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much you watch our team, but even watching our team in Ontario, it's been, it's just a lot of fun to see all the kids progressing, but we're certainly learning that it, it does take patience and you've got to be ultra patient and, and you can't get too emotional. But uh, I think the biggest thing that's been really good is to see our team as a group buying into a system and then playing that way, it seems like almost every night. Like, it's kind of funny this week. We've had like uh, four injuries in the span of like three days. And uh, then last night, you kind of could see it's not like you're losing your identity, but everybody's trying to get back into playing the way we've, we've had success lately. So uh, hopefully that, you know, some of those guys don't miss uh, too much of uh, time. But to see those young guys coming in and seeing their their next step and our, our, development, our development guys like Matt Green, you know, Sean O'Donnell and uh, Mike Donnelly and, and so forth and Jared Stoll, they really work on making sure they're, they're playing to help us win, not just to get to the NHL. So it's, it's been uh, fun to see the progress of some of those young, young men. So you guys are firmly in a playoff spot, you know, injuries notwithstanding, and we know what the season's been like, especially in the Pacific for a number of teams, but where, where would you say you're at in terms of the process you've been building to get to this point for a couple of years? How close are you to where you want to get to and how much room for growth is there still? Well, you know, last summer when the season ended, Rob Blake said we're done with uh, the selling part. And now we're going the other way. And, uh, you know, our veterans were excited about that. And, you know, we added Philip Deneau and Arvidsson and Edler. And these guys have come in and really bought into what we're trying to do. So we're one the next step. So we always said we were going to compete for a playoff spot. You never know how you're going to end up at the end. It, it does depends of, you know, you got to get a couple of breaks, injuries and so forth. But you, you got to keep playing the same way a long time. And, uh, we, you know, we, we know the growth of our players. And if you look at a trajectory like uh, Adrian Kempe is having his best year and he's 25. So we, we've liked him as a player like two, three years ago. We have a lot of players that are like there where he was two, three years ago. So we could see the potential. So so it does tell us in a couple of years, we really feel we're going to compete like every night and we're going to start the season where it's OK, we're a playoff team. What do we need to do to add? But right now we're still competing to get in. And that's that's the hardest part. To to compete, to get in your, your best players got to be your best players. Most nights, Luke and Drew Doughty has, you know, he and I know because he missed some games a lot of time. He won't get considered, but he's playing back close to his Norris Trophy level. Um were you expecting this? Was he playing banged up at all the last few years or what has he done to get back to this elite level? You know, I think it's funny, like a guy like Drew Doughty loves to compete and it has to meet every game needs to be. He plays with so much emotion that I, I think it was really hard for him to play on a team that, you know, by the time you hit Christmas, you almost were out 
And I don't think it it works with his DNA. For him, it's like you put him on the Olympic team at 18 years old, he's the best D. You know, he starts as a 7D and him being the top 2D. And it just, whenever there's competition, he gets better. And I I just think this year our team's better. And Drew's like, okay, let's go. And he suddenly is, you know, you you could, if you watch him every day and you see what he's doing both sides, you'd say, yeah, he's probably the best D in the league or top three for sure this year. And, uh, and that's, that's who he is though. He needs to have a team that, that competes with him. So when, when he comes back and, and you have Anze Kopitar, who's being ultra consistent, but you played a long time and I know you weren't a center Luke, but you understand the responsibilities of a center. How much has the addition of Philip Deneau lessened the responsibilities of Kopitar and maybe allowed him not to be so worn down and having to play every tough matchup. Yeah, I was, we still play him a lot, but, <laughs> but you're right. I think it's been a huge addition to have Philip play like uh, with Kopi because now suddenly you go to Boston and uh, Dano could play against Bergeron one shift and, and uh, then it's Kopi and even taking faceoffs. We're able to put Kopi in way more offensive faceoffs yes. in the past. And I think that takes a lot of pressure. Like right now, He's not jumping first on every PK all the time. We're able to put Dano and even the kid Lazat's kind of been uh, stepping in it. And long term, that's going to really help us. I mean, he's such a great player. So for us to to buy a little bit of time like that, it gives us a better opportunity offensively to score more goals. You know, this will ultimately be Rob's decision, I guess, Luke, but in terms of how you navigate this deadline, keeping the big picture in mind, how do you, you know, put your team in the best position to succeed now and also keep an eye on the future in terms of, you know, potentially making a move to to make this team better in the next week or so? Yeah, I think I think for us, there's no knee-jerk movement. It's very important. Uh, if we have a chance, I think Rob has said since the beginning, if we have a chance to improve the team, uh, we will. So he's taking calls from everyone. He's talking to everyone. Uh, we're one of the few teams with cap space and we have cap space coming up. So we're aware of it. It has to be that we can improve the team. I mean, you know, Alex Edler is going to come back now and, you know, hopefully in the next three weeks. So that's, you know, so if you're going to make an addition on D, you know, <laughs> he already got one coming back. So we, we're, we're looking at all that and to see, but if there's a chance to improve the team, absolutely we'll do it. We, we understand and our players have, have earned that, that, that whenever we could do to make the team and the organization better, we'll, we will. That being said, it could be a young guy coming up, you know, that can really help you make a big difference. You know, we saw that uh, in 2012, we called up uh, Dwight King and Jordan Nolan. They kind of, brought like a lot of, uh, you know, a little bit of spark to our organization. They ended up, uh, Kinger played on the third line and was really good in the playoffs. So sometimes it happens that way also. How would you describe your role for those that don't know the day-to-day for you? Like you're president of hockey and business ops, you're overseeing it all. What, how do you split your time between the two? Is it all intertwined? What's your day-to-day like? Uh, make sure the team wins and make sure we don't lose too much money. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, you know, I, it, it's intertwined. There's a lot of communication. Like uh, I talk a lot with Rob Blake and then on the business side, I talk a lot with Kelly Cheeseman, our CEO. And uh, we're, we're, we're really trying to focus on making sure like he, 
people forget like technically you have 11 teams in LA pro teams, you know, and then you could throw in USC and UCLA to consider the football pro teams also. And uh, so we're always competing for relevance and so forth. You got to be a little bit different. So for us, it, it was not an easy thing to say two and a half years ago, we're going to rebuild because you're basically telling your fan it's going to be hard now, you know, like, really, you know, bear, bear down with us. But our fans, our core fans bought in and now they're seeing like uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. But it's uh, so my job is, you know, we'll spend some time, a lot of discussion, the hockey decision or, or discussion or mostly in the morning. And then most of the afternoon, I would say I spend a lot of time on the business side with our group. Yeah, that's kind of all my time is. So in those hockey conversations now, Luke, as, as Frank's alluded to, you know, we're getting very close to the NHL trade deadline. And based on your experience of trades and being traded, and you talked about how everybody was open and honest with you. How important do you feel that is as your organization? Like if you're contemplating deals, do you tell some guys they might be traded or can you do that during the season where it's different maybe than in an off season? I think it's hard, you know, like to, you know, like, because you really never know. Sometimes you think something's going to happen and it just doesn't happen at the end. And then like three weeks later, you hear a rumor of a guy moving, but that, that went by like that rumor, maybe three weeks ago. So I think it's, it's not fair. Now there's some players that's different than other players. I think every situation is so different. Now, the good thing that we have is, you know, I don't know much you guys know about Rob Blake, but there's really, I always say there's no gray in his life. So it's either black or white. He tells you the way things are. So if you ask him, he'll tell you. And I think players, that's why they they respect him so much because he'll tell them exactly the way it is and so forth. So we, we're trying to be as, as far as we can with our organization. But if there were rumors and so forth about a player and there's nothing we could say, I think he would just tell them there's nothing we could say, you know, because that's just the way it is. Now, if you have an opportunity to talk with a guy and treat people good, it's, it's important. It, it, you know, it's, it's still a human business. It's a, it's hard on players mind their wives and their families when you hear rumors. So if you have a chance to really talk to them, we, we, we're, we're well aware because we all played how much that, that carries, you know, with your day-to-day -day lifestyle. So Luke, for you, when you're evaluating guys, you're a high a high offensive player. Do you, do you find, do you still gravitate more to the offensive game or have you spent more time? Like, do you like evaluating the defenseman? Cause you're like, Hey, I know how to beat a defenseman kind of when you're looking at players, what, what are, what do you feel is your best skill set as an evaluator of talent? I want to look for heart guys. that love the game. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of guys that love the game. They're willing to do whatever it takes to help you win. doesn't mean they're going to be good every day. They're going to screw up and so forth. But if you find the right guy that just, you know, you, it's got a little bit of spark that you can just tell, like when the game is there, they'll do whatever it takes to win. I mean, you're going to win a lot of games as an organization that way. And, you know, yeah, I'll know sometimes our offensive guys think, so when we'll, we'll have those discussions, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, as far as defensemen, the way I look at it, I always, I always look at the D and say, I wouldn't have liked to play against him. <laughs> so, so I'll tell Blakey, I'll say, like, that guy, I wouldn't have liked to play against him because of X, Y, and Z. Sometimes, you know, whether they're a great skater or a dirty player or they make you pay a price for everything you win. So I kind of look at it like that a lot of time, you know. What are those conversations like between you and Rob? There's lots of guys that work together in front offices now that used to be teammates. 
doesn't mean they necessarily all see the game the same way, but is there a little bit of a different relationship or vibe with you and, and Rob, given how you know long you guys have known each other and had enjoyed success on the ice? Uh, I think, you know, we have a bunch of guys in the room, you know, Nelson Emerson, Glenn Murray, and now Mark Bergeron is there. And I think we, we, you know, we might see, we might have different opinions and so forth, but we all have the same vision and we're all on the same, like a, it was interesting because we were hiring someone the other day in our organization on the business side. And it was a lady. And when she, when we ended up hiring her, she said one of the main reasons she wanted to come is because everybody spoke the same language. And then it got me thinking that when you go on the hockey side right now, if you talk to any one of our guys that's in our office, like everybody speaks the same language. And I think as an organization, if you want to get somewhere, you all have to be on the same, you know, same path. Give me an example of what that means. So I could give you an, a, like the, the easiest example is like 2017. We didn't, we didn't trade any picks. We didn't get rid of any picks from 2017 till 2000. I think two years ago, we traded a pick to move up on the draft. Okay. So no matter what, how emotional we got or no matter what was going to happen, that was not going to happen. Then, then you get to the next, next time and we, and we, we look at a player and say, well, okay, this, this player is not producing as much. Maybe he should move down. But then we, we always go back to the way we want to play. What we've talked about, like in the summer, like, you know, this is how we see our team with the type of character, the type of, and so we don't get emotional over day to day. Now that, Probably that has a lot to do with our ownership group, that they're not emotional. They understand that we have a plan. We're going to stick to it. So then then you, you go down to it. We, we always want to go back to the basic, the way we started and what goal we set out for the organization. So then you said that the with regards to this upcoming deadline, no knee-jerk reaction. So yeah. you so you've sort of thought this out in terms of, not necessarily exactly what's going to happen, but you have an idea of what you'd like to accomplish. So when you think of someone like Deneau, who we just talked about, how long in advance would someone like that, meaning not just that player, but stylistically, you know, you mentioned the things you look for hard and, and things like that. How, would he have been an archetype of a type of player that you would have been thinking of for that spot six months, 12 months before you actually go out and get the deal done? His compete, yes. I mean, you know, we, we it wasn't, I, I couldn't tell you, we did watch him. We knew he was going to become a free agent last year. And then when we ended the season last year, we were clear because of the, the, uh, the, uh, the way the growth of our prospect is coming. At the time, we set out to say we need two top six forwards. We weren't sure if it was going to be a center and a winger or two wingers. Uh, we knew it was never going to be two centers, but we knew if we had a chance to a center and a winger. Now, it's hard to add two top six fours in free agency. So when Blakey had the opportunity to get Arvidsson early on in the summer, he jumped at it. So now suddenly we only had to get one more guy. And uh, and that's when we started doing work on, you know, every uh, other, uh, you know, wingers that were available. And, uh, you know, then there wasn't a lot of centers that were available. Like Deno was one of them. And when, you know, talking with our scouts, looking at data and looking at the type of team we want to be, it just seemed to be the right fit. 
but we still weren't sure what we we're going to get him. You know, you you really never know. It's that's why free agency is hard. You know, you got to be a little bit lucky to, you know, it's you got to be ready early and you got to be a little bit lucky. Well, I like how you mentioned that because you can come in with with the best plan, Luke, and, and you want to stay on plan. When do you when do you know? Is it a gut feel on when you might? Ha- OK, well, this is our plan, but maybe it's six months ahead or maybe some team's going to surprise you here in the final week. And there's an offer that you might have said, hey, it's a little bit beforehand. How much now that you're past the point of we're definitely not sellers? Does it change? And sometimes you just got to go with the, you trust your gut to know that we might not be able to follow our path and timeline. Exactly. There might be opportunities where we have to jump ahead of it. Well, we know if we had an opportunity, I think Blakey came out, I think it was last summer. He said, if we have an opportunity to get a defenseman younger than 25, 26, that could play the next six, seven years with us, we, we would look at it. So he's made that clear. And, uh, and like Jacob Chikrin. <laughs> well, he's, I don't know, how old is he? <laughs> Yeah. Well, wait. So wait. I was laughing, Luke, when you said when I heard that comment last summer. I was like, "Yeah, you and all thirty-one other teams are trying to do that." Yeah. The the difference is, we, you know, we have a lot of prospect. We have a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you could call them assets. And and fortunately or unfortunately for us, sometimes it's, you know, you can't have if you have like whatever twenty assets, they can't all play for your team. And to be fair, they need a chance to play in the NHL. So, you know, at some point that's going to happen. It's just the way it is. I mean, I remember Dean Lombardi made a, uh, a huge trade to, for us to get Mike Richards. And, but we had to give up Wayne Simmons and uh, Braden Shen. And you know, those were, you know, really good hockey players. And, you know, you look back, we won two Stanley Cups and, you know, it's, it, you know, it was, it was, that was the right trade. But Braden Chen's had a great career, so did Wayne Simmons. And, you know, that's that's the way it is sometimes in hockey. And that's, I think, the balancing point for the Kings. And I love that you brought it up because you do have a lot of the prospects. Is is there going to ever, is there sleepless nights? Because some of them you really like, and you, well, we like this guy, we like that guy. And then you got you to gotta hope, because sometimes you got to give to get something, you're right. You're not going to be able yeah. to trade, well, all our bad prospects, and then we're going to get all these great players. You know, that, yeah, that's fantasy trades, right? So there, is that going to be the toughest decisions, Luke, maybe in the next year or so for this organization is knowing which of the assets to move confidently knowing that, you know what, uh, we're not going to give away necessarily the best one. Yeah, it's it's it, that that's the hardest thing. But but if you want to get a player you really like, you're gonna have to give up a good player. That's just the way it is. It's 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 just there's no way you can't you can't steal anything. You know, it's just everybody has the data. Everybody knows about it, each player. So you just got to be ready for that and see. It's more it becomes more about fitting a hole. So if you're giving up a forward or a certain position for a defenseman. You know, they, does he help your team more now than the other guy? And that's, that's all it is. And for the player, is it better for him to really get a chance to play somewhere? I, I re- clearly remember we were having talk about, uh, the, you know, my when Mike Richard came and one of the talk with someone talking to me says, well, if Braden Chen becomes successful, he'll play like Mike Richards. And that's, if you look at today, that's kind of who Braden Chen is. And he won the Stanley Cup, you know, so... They were right. It's just that we ended up winning two and we could have won three, you know, so that was that was the right move. But that's the way it is. All right. Let's play a little rapid fire. 
All right, right, Luke. So in rapid fire, uh, the only rule is you have to answer the questions. All right. So uh, here we go. What if I don't know? (laughs) Well, that's true. I'll try. Come on. Our questions are never going to be that in depth. I wouldn't think. Uh, so we'll, we'll start with uh, with some of the easy ones. I want to go back to your your draft year. Is it true the Kings were the only team that talked to you prior yeah. to the draft? Yeah, it was actually one scout. His name was Alex Smart. Yeah. Only because you were like a back then it's a ninth rounder, but 171st. When everybody said, well, we're not sure about his skating. How, like, how did you deal with that as a young player? They actually said he's slower than a Zamboni. That's right. <laughs> I, I did ask my dad one time, I think I was like 13 or 14 years old. I asked my dad, is it true that I'm really slow? Like when you, you know, he goes, I don't know, son. He said, all I know is when there's a loose buck, you seem to be first on it. He's keep doing what you do. I said, okay. But I, but I do at 14, I bought like a pair of first pair of rollerblade. There was a friend of mine that was like a, they had just come out and that's all I would do all summer because everybody would always talk about my skating. So I try to improve every, it didn't work that much because they keep thinking I'm saying my whole career, but uh, yeah, that was one, one scout. <laughs> well, well, Hey man, uh, hopefully that guy, uh, you, you bought him a beer later because it well, he should buy you a beer because it definitely yeah, he, worked out. Uh, he got Steve Duchesne as a free agent. So we went and got him a couple presents a few years later. He passed away now, but pretty special man. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, you said you heard that your whole career, and it's true. So, what made you so successful despite not being fast? I think my love for the game, and because I had so much passion, I tried to learn every day. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. Like, I would watch a player that was really hot in the NHL, like, and then. I'd watch him because I wasn't a great skater, maybe not as strong. I'd say, okay, I can't do these 10 things he's doing great, but I can do that one thing. So then I would go and practice that for maybe the next month. And next thing you know, that would add that to my game, you know, what I was doing. So if I would watch like the way Brett Hall shot a puck, I couldn't shoot the way he did. There's a lot of stuff he was doing because his skill level was high. But I, I noticed the way he was positioning himself on the ice you know, like a lot of guys are on the one timer right on the dot. He was maybe a couple feet off. So I picked that up and I started doing it on the other side. That would help me. So I, I was always trying to learn and study the game. I was a good student. What was the uh, the number one thing you learned playing with Gretzky when he first came to L.A.? Um, give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> my game three in the NHL, I was going a two on one with Wayne and I, that was my idol. I just wanted, you know, is like to another level, my idol, like, you know, so I wanted to give him the perfect saucer pass and he comes back to the, and, and I got caught in the middle. So he comes back to the band and he's being really nice. He's, he's freaking Wayne Gretzky. He's getting two on one. He goes, Hey, lucky. He goes, just give it to me. He goes, don't worry, I'll give it back to you. And I was like, okay, okay, Mr. Gritz. <laughs> that was my thing. So for the next, like, I think month, every time I touch a puck, I just fired it at him. So finally, I remember Robbie Fitarik says, you can't play with Wayne. I'm going to play with someone else. You need to calm down. And I was like, really? Like, I was so disappointed. <laughs> but that's how I started because I was just a kid and Gretzky was like, I idolized it. Well, I, you know what? I've, and I appreciate your honesty because I think some people forget, like, you know, for offensive players, Gretzky was the guy. And oh, then to God. be that young yeah. and then to get to play with them, even if you try to tell yourself, don't get, don't be in awe, don't try to get him the puck. You can't do it. Like you just, oh, there's 99. I got to get him the puck. 
No, we had like everybody in LA, like just coming after every game, even before game, just looking at him. Like people we'd see in movies, we'd never seen that. So it, it was definitely above, like way above what we were. <laughs> what was, uh, what's Luke Robitaille's cocktail of choice after a big win or just a, a random night on a, in the summer? Oh, cocktail of choice. You know, I really like the wine prisoners lately. I really like that wine. <laughs> okay. I'll go for a Bud Light too. <laughs> <laughs> now, early in your career, you were in awe of you going to Gretzky. Late in your career, of course, uh, you won your Stanley Cup with the Detroit Red Wings and there was a boatload of Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. What was the number one? Di- Why was Luke Robitaille, the veteran, able to fit into that group so easily? I, I mean, it was a lot of us. I, I, I think it's going to be when it's all said and done, 11 Hall of Famers on that team. We will probably never see that again. I think that the biggest thing is we all had like done a lot in our career and everyone that went there, we were, and, and don't care, like Steve Eisenman, like uh, Chris Draper, Chelio, Shanahan, these guys had won already. So they already knew that it takes a real group to win. You can't do it individually. So for me, it was great to suddenly be just part of a group. Okay. So Whenever I would go on the ice, I had to do my job. And then I knew when I was going to come off the ice, the other guys were going to do their job. And it was easy to trust the other guys because everybody was so good. But it, it really and it, it really helped me even for my transition to post-career where you, you really that's when you realize it takes everyone to have, whether it's a successful show, a successful team and so forth. But that's it, that that was the biggest thing for me is to to learn to really be part of the group and just do your job and good things will happen at the end. Earlier, you mentioned sometimes you'll tell Blake, hey, you know what? That defenseman, I wouldn't want to play against him. So which defenseman did you hate playing against when you played? Well, Chelly. Chelly is the worst because it's not like he hits you hard because Chelly was, was, was not big, you know. But if you won, like a Ray, if you won a puck in a corner, he would slash you for the next three games because he, he lost them. He was crazy. He wanted to win every single thing. So if you beat him too bad, he would just keep at you. Like he, it's almost like he had to go five to one against you. So he was, he was a real pain in the butt that way. Which <laughs> Look, <was freaking> great. <laughs> how are your card playing skills? Are you a good card player? Uh, I play a little bit. Like uh, it's, I, I just do charity poker tournaments here and there. Not, not real good. Why? <laughs> no, I was just curious when you were on the, like, were you, were you a card shark in your careers with your team? No, not really. Playing? The guys play, I, I, when we'd fly, I like to watch movies. So I'd watch movies. What's your, give me your top two movies to watch. Top two movies. Well, one of them is definitely Shawshank Redemption. And, uh, and then uh, since I retire, like, you know, because I, my whole life is hockey, hockey, hockey. So when I come home, my wife would tell you I like the chick flicks. Oh, <laughs> little, little rom-com. I cry many times in many of those movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> little rom-com. I like it. Now, before I let you go, I have to ask you this. Did you watch Lance et Comte growing up as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who was your favorite character? Oh, God, I couldn't remember his name. But was it the guy that it was rumored that he was Guy Lafleur? Like, so it was the start of the show. It was rumored. Oh, Marc Gagnon. Yeah, Marc Gagnon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did, wait a minute. Did you ever watch uh, the, the Boys? 
Yes, I watched The Boys. That's a great show. <laughs> oh, buddy, I love it, Frank. I don't know if you've seen these are some classic. Lance Comte. I was I was a young I was a teenager at the time it came out, and I was as he shoots he scores. They translated to English, but Lance Comte was like about this pro pro hockey team in Quebec. Yeah, it was, and it was pretty good actually. It was, like, it was uh, like a soap opera around hockey, it was good. But my favorite was those movies, The Boys. Yeah, that, that, that's my favorite. I always wish one day someone will make that that those movies in English because it was they were really good. The Boys are great. Yeah, see, because I, I graduated French immersion high school, so I watched a lot of the French shows. And yeah. Lance Comte, I'm telling you, as a young guy, as a teenager, like oh, Susie yeah. Lambert, had a huge crush on her as a kid. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, I have one last uh, rapid fire for you. Give yeah. me one word of what it's like to be on the other side of the table from Pat Brisson in a negotiation. Uh, one word. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I love what I, Pat. Like, I, I never realized that like, Pat Brisson's players, they're all the greatest players to ever play the game. All of them. No. <laughs> Perfect. I thought I thought you were gonna say scary. I, I wasn't sure no. what word you were gonna pick. <laughs> it's well, fun because when he talks to me about a play, I'm like, so he's the greatest too, huh? Like they're all the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good hey, everybody needs a hype man like Pat Brisson, sounds That's like. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Luke, thanks so much for joining us and uh, best of luck in uh, what's likely going to be a, a hectic, exciting week around the National Hockey League uh, leading up to the trade deadline. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, for us, we got to keep battling. That was the president, Luke Robitaille. We appreciate him uh, joining us. Uh, he joined us uh, over the weekend and uh, obviously we'll be pretty excited today after that huge win last night against the uh, Florida Panthers, Frank. And, you know, it was I really enjoyed that conversation with Luke because he was he was very forthright and honest and kind of what their plan is and where they're at and where they're going to move forward as an organization. Such an exciting team. Like, I think they've got so much going for them between their cap space, their picks, their prospects. That team's going to be really good for the next five, six years. I I, I made the comparison and I, I truly believe they are the New York Rangers of the West. Like they they're in an enviable position from now on. And just listening to Luke Robitaille, you can kind of pick out little details, you know, even though he didn't reveal a lot of specifics, something like, well, what are you looking for? And, and his response was players with heart. Yeah. I, I was, you know, I was thinking about the interview and replaying it back in my mind over the weekend. And like, I can't help but think that someone that fits that description so perfectly at this trade deadline is Brandon Hagel. Like, could you imagine slotting him on the left side and then properly, you know, redoing your, your lines? You know, you push Trevor Moore down a line. You still have Alex Iafalo there um, and throw Hagel on a line with Philip Deneau. Like, your team becomes that much better. And you've got, the you know, to his point with the prospects you have, and this is the same thing, the Rangers, the Sens, a, a lot of teams that have a deep pipeline they're going to face is that they, not all these guys can, can make your lineup. So you're going to have to move guys yes. anyway, at some point. So this year is as good as any, like you, we just talked about sort of what a hot mess the West is like, why can't the LA Kings go on a run? Why oh. can't they, what would stop them from, you know, squaring off with a team like Calgary and going toe to toe. 
I think the, the health of Drew Doughty is a key thing, right? Once he comes back in, he's been unbelievable this season for the Los Angeles Kings. And I really like Luke's response about Drew yep. Doughty. He said, you know what? Like, Drew, you can't fake who you are. And, and he's so emotionally invested that, you know, when his team's out of it, he missed, you know, he's just not playing. Now, some people might get frustrated listening to that. I kind of appreciate it because I can understand it. It wasn't like he quit. But it's just the difference between, you know, being dialed in at a nine or sometimes you go through the motions. I think that's the difference, Frank. And a lot of people, it's such a fine line in the NHL. And if you don't have that drive that you're normally possessing because your team is way out of it, I I could see how maybe you're not going to be as effective. Well, the juice just isn't the same. And when you have experienced the ultimate success and won two Stanley Cups and been in the hunt, when you're out of it by November or December and you know there's no chance to get back in, how could you, it's human nature. I mean, I, I know everyone has pride. Everyone competes. Everyone's making a lot of money, but at the same time, you have to manufacture that energy every night. And it's just impossible to do. I, I thought it was honest and fair. And also to me, some people, as, as you said, might cast a shadow on Drew Doughty for that. To me, I kind of love it. Like, I'm like, if you have a team that's even close to the mix, you know you're going to be getting the absolute best out of Drew Doughty. And we saw it even just to start this year. You dangle a little little carrot, the idea of making the Olympic team, and you see a different player. And, you know, again, some people might say, why isn't that switch flipped on all the time? I just like that he has the ability to do so. Yeah. And let's be real here. Like when you're going through the motions and your team is out of it, there's very few players that are elevating their game to the best level just because the team isn't that good. Just, you know, that's well, most true. people don't have that ability to even get to the best level. Yeah. That's even if they want to, he's like, yeah, I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to be a Norris trophy winner. Like, come on, who can do that? <laughs> Not many guys, that's for sure. Well, let's welcome in Tyler Remchuk for another edition of Buy or Sell. Yes, it is another edition of Buy or Sell here on a Monday morning. And as always, it's delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Rundown DD, that's the promo code 25% off, no delivery fees on your first order. And let's start with this. You guys were talking about the Heritage Classic, and it's become a bit of a unique tradition in the NHL to have the two teams sort of dress up for their entrance to an outdoor game. The Buffalo Sabres dressed up as the Flint Tropics from Semi-Pro. The Toronto Maple Leafs dressed up as Steelworkers. Are you buying on both? Buying on one? Selling on the other? Selling on both? What do you guys think, Frank? I, I don't know. I thought it was embarrassing for the Leafs. I, I just <laughs> it, it felt like you took a something that had kind of been cool and organic and it felt like a sponsored item. Like they were tagging Stelco, the company who clearly gave them the hats and, and maybe even the uniforms. Was this a sponsored gig? Like, was this something that it just felt pre-planned, not fun, not interesting. Like all the other ones at least had a funny element to it. Like, the Leafs just look goofy. And, and, and on top of that, they're not a hard team. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Leafs, you're not steel workers. You're just not. So you're selling on the Leafs, buying on the Sabres? Yeah, I mean, semi-pro Sabres sounds about right. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, who doesn't like the Flint tropics, man? It's hard not to like it. Um, you know, you're going with the short shorts and, you know, you got the, uh, the muscle shirts and the headbands. I thought they played the role well. Um, I look at Toronto and I think that they were, they were appealing to where they were playing. Right. And so they took a more serious approach to it, I think, than the, the maybe the fun-loving approach a lot of the other teams do. And so that's why it, it looked different. And I kind of get the sense that, you know, that's kind of where the Leafs organization is. Now, this one was supposedly, uh, and I would agree, I think it's the players. They're the ones who decide what they're going to wear. I, I don't think that they're going to be, t- I would hope they're not told by management. And so they tried, they went with a, with a different, maybe more serious tone. Um, I didn't mind it, actually. It kind of fits in. It was, it was interesting looking at it because there are some guys like that, just to, to, to be like the construction hard, you know, get your hands dirty type of person to see some people who play a, a high level sport, who are very gifted athletically, but who most of them just don't fit that persona. It was, I found it quite, I found it actually quite funny because you're looking at them like, I'd be curious how many of those guys have ever worn like, you know, work gloves and <laughs> coveralls. So th- that part I didn't mind because I'm just like, it shows you maybe how different of a world uh, the two sides truly are. But I didn't have that much of a, an issue with it. I thought it was kind of a unique, it was a different spin. It wasn't comedy. They tried to go a little bit more representing where they were playing. And it's not their, it's, keep in mind, Hamilton, there's lots of Hamilton fans who aren't Toronto fans. So I think they're trying to win over some Hamilton fans. All right. Uh, second one we got here last season. In the week leading up to the deadline, there was a total of 16 deals, but eight of them happened the day before the deadline. So that means in sort of the first six days of that final week, there was only eight trades. It's quiet. So I'm going to say between now and Saturday, it's under eight trades in the NHL. Jason, you buying or selling on that? Oh, yeah, I'd buy for sure. I I think every day matters right now for cap space, honestly. And I think teams are teams are waiting. and. Um, I, I could see, you know, a few deals trickle in on Saturday, but that still leaves me Sunday and Monday. Correct. So it's yeah. under eight. Yeah. So I'll take under eight for sure before. Okay. Saturday. Yeah, I would take under eight as well. I, I just think it's been quiet. I think teams kind of know what their marching orders are. They have a general idea on prices. And I really think there's a lot of buyers out there that are knowing that the longer they wait, the more those prices have to come down just by nature. Fair, very fair. Uh, last one I got for you for buy or sell. Uh, of the eight playoff teams in the Eastern Conference, six of them still own first round picks. So I'm going to do a little over under here. I'm going to set the line at three and a half first round picks dealt by the contenders, the playoff teams in the East of the six that own them. Frank, you buying or selling? It's everyone but Florida and Carolina own their first rounder this year. Yeah, but are you including them trading a first round pick for next year? That is a good point and one I did not think of early on a Monday morning. Um, No, I'll say trading just this year's first round picks. Well, it's kind of a half-assed question because like Florida is going to, they're going to probably trade their first round pick, but it's going to be for next year. Like I'd be shocked if they don't trade their first round pick. So I would say if it's three and a half and it's only this year's picks, Pittsburgh, no, Carolina, maybe Rangers, probably Washington. No, Boston. No, Boston. Yes. Toronto likely. So I'm going to say under under three and a half. 
Yeah, I'm going under too. I I don't uh, I don't think like Tampa. I guess Tampa could again, but I kind of get a sneaking suspicion they won't. And the the Rangers, I'm not sure why the Rangers would at this point. I'm not sure the Rangers are ready yet to push all in. Um, I wouldn't do it. So I will say under in the West, in the East, but excuse me. When I said Rangers, just to clarify, um, I, it would only be for a player with term. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, let's wrap it up with the points bet bonus question. Our friends at points bet Canada were all over the briar this year. I don't know if you guys saw the final, but it was a, a hell of a hell of a draw between Brad Gushu and team Alberta and our friend Ben Hebert. Uh, but the points bet bonus question, there's just one game in the NHL tonight. It's an absolute barn burner between the senators and coyotes Two rebuilding teams. Which one is busier at the deadline, the Yotes or the senators, Frank? Uh, senators. Hmm. Like Arizona's I'm going to go like, I'm fascinated to see like, does Phil want to leave? You know, they just had their baby. Maybe now it's easier to leave. I don't know. But um, I don't think that uh, Arizona is uh, is trading uh, Chickering. Um, I'm not sure how many other legit, like trading for Jamelka doesn't make any sense to me either. Like at some point you want to build good players, keep your good yeah. players for goodness sake. So I get why other teams would want them. And I get why their names are out there, but, um, and if, and if I'm Ottawa, like they got to resign their guys, but I'll say Arizona simply because they've always been with Arizona's busy. Cause I think Arizona is going to be involved, Frank, as far as, uh, harboring money for teams. Yeah, I just think when I'm looking at the Sens, like Nick Paul is, I would say, a 90% chance to be traded unless there's some kind of crazy movement here. I would say there's probably someone that will take a flyer on Zach Sanford. Um, Someone should step up to get Anton Forsberg, provided that the price is reasonable. There's a chance Michael Delzato moves because he's cheaper to trade than to buy out. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a list there. Chris Tierney. I mean, like what's going on with him? Is he, is there a chance he's healthy? Uh, I don't know. Victor Mete, are they going to want to pay him his, his uh, ARB number that's due? as a restricted free agent. I don't know. I just think there's a lot, like there's a lot the Sens could do if they want to. Mm. Makes sense. All right. That's going to be a wrap on what was oh, maybe a half-ass edition of buyer sell delivered by <laughs> DoorDash. Victor Mete. Like I'm not sure Victor Mete has any, has any grounds to stand on right now, unfortunately. So um, it will be, uh, it'd be interesting to see Frank. I, I want to ask you a fun one of all the teams we look at. We, is there a team that you see being a two-part question? A, who's your surprise team? Either good, bad, does nothing, or, or maybe does more than we think. And then B, is, is there a team that you think is going all in? Who's going to be the most active in the next week? I think Florida is going to be very active. Okay. I, th- I like it. That's my Stanley Cup pick, Frank. I'm agreeing. With, I like it. As I started the season pick, and I still like him. This may totally come back to bite me in the ass. I, I don't think Carolina is that active. Hmm. And maybe that's a surprise to some people, given where they've been. Um, and I just I keep coming back to Toronto. Like maybe the prudent play really is to do nothing. Hmm. 
I think the Colorado Avalanche are going to be rather active this week. Well, they're they got some some space now with Landis Cog out, right? Yeah. So I just I think Joe Sakic Joe Sakic's won the cup. He knows how hard it is to win. I think he looks at his team and like you're you're not going to get what do you got two years left of Nathan McKinnon, where, where you have a player who far exceeds his salary cap. And that's just such an advantage. I think you got to take advantage of it. So, so I, here, here's another question for you. Claude Giroux plays his 1000th game as a flyer on Thursday night, St. Patty's yep. day. Yep. Friday night, they're in Ottawa, his hometown. Well, his, where he's made his hometown. Does he play the game in Ottawa? 1001 with the flyers. Or is he traded? Does he go on the trip? Does he sit out as asset protection? How does it work? What do you think? Give me your prediction. I, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to want to play that game, Frank. If it's in another city, they might have uh, they might have asset managed him. But I think he it's in play. it's in Ottawa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he plays for sure. <laughs> Pretty unique, eh? For a guy play your thousandth game at home in Philly, and then thousand and one is in kind of your hometown. That's pretty sweet. Does he make it to Sunday though? Home against the Islanders. Now that one, I could see him resting, right? I, I could see them possibly sit him out. It was interesting his comments where he said, man, I got to make a decision. So it sounds like a lot of this is on Claude Giroux too. Like, do you really want well, to go? It, it, well, it is because doesn't they could come to you and say, we want to trade you. And he could just say, buzz off. Yeah. He doesn't need to be traded. No. That's why it, it really is his decision. He could just say, you know what? I'm really comfortable here. And I want to just play out the string. Yeah. If, if I'm Claude Giroux, why, why would you do that? Like, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I yeah. think you only get so many opportunities in totally. your career to do it. But just because you and I feel that way doesn't yeah. necessarily, I, I still think he, for even for the betterment of the team and the organization moving forward, they need this pick. They need these assets to try and get better. Yeah. yeah. Claude no, Giroux I, over the next seven weeks for the Philadelphia Flyers doesn't help them. No, really? No, not at all. And well, actually trading him probably helps them because uh, then they maybe fall down the standings and get uh, higher draft lottery odds too. So, well, they're doing that all on their own. So they can't hold a lead to save their lives. <laughs> Frankie, we'll be back on Friday, man. Uh, I think it might be the calm before the storm, but uh, leading up to the trade deadline, I think once it starts, it's going to be rather busy, which will be great. Have yourself an awesome week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? 
For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.